2 Timothy chapter chapter 3, starting in verse 16, and we'll read uh, to chapter 4, verse verse 4 or 5, somewhere there. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for your presence with us here. God, that we can gather together on a Sunday morning, warm in this place, and celebrate baptisms is such a joy. And Lord, as we open your word this morning and just have a conversation about your word, we invite your Holy Spirit to open our hearts to receive from you all that you have for us, we pray. God, anoint my words, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, there's a football player named Roy Regals, who is a center for uh, University of California. And in 1920, the University of California was up against Georgia Tech. And early on in the game, um, the, the, the ball was fumbled by Georgia Tech. And so Roy Regal, seeing this great opportunity, picks up the ball, and he just knows exactly what to do. He starts running with the ball. And he's running, and he's going, he's heading for the end zone, he's excited to get there. But there was just one problem. Roy Regals was running in the wrong direction. He was heading to the wrong end zone. One of his teammates eventually tackles him within like the last couple of yards of the end zone. And, but unfortunately, of course, uh, Georgia Tech went on to score. And they ended up losing the game by just a couple of points. Roy Regals has forever been known as Wrong Way Regals. <laughs> Poor guy. One writer, though, thinking about this, said that Roy had instinct without direction. He had all the right instincts in that moment to pick up the ball and start running, but he didn't have direction. He was headed in the wrong way. And when I think about my own life, and I think about the life of my friends, or I think about our church, I think about our society, the world we live in, I wonder if many of us have a lot of instinct, a lot of good desire, a lot of good drive. We, 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 we long to live in a way that is good and beautiful and right. We want to make a difference in the world. We want to contribute to the good of of all that is happening around us. We have instinct. But are we heading in the right direction? And when we think about taking that instinct and putting it in a certain direction, how do we make sure that at the end of our lives we are not standing in the wrong end zone? Well, for Roy Regals, he was fortunate in that in the game of football, the rules were clear. A direction for him had been given. It just so happened that he was running in the wrong way. So when we think about the instinct that we have as people to live into a vision of seeing the world be good and beautiful and right, do we have a direction? Has a direction been given to us? Can a direction be known? 
Do we have the resources available to us to make sure that at the end of our lives we are not standing in the wrong end zone? Well, our text that we opened up this morning, I believe, affirms to us that we indeed have been given a direction. That a way can be known. That resources are available to us that help us point our instincts in the right direction. Not only as individuals, not only as a church, but I believe even for our society. The direction, that way, those resources have been given to us in the word of God. God has given us clear direction on the the way in which we are to point our instinct. God has given us the resources that we need to place our instincts and our desires for good, our desire to do well. We've been in a series called Life Together this fall, and we've been kind of opened this up, pointing out this simple observation that when Jesus called us to follow him, he not only called us into life with him to be his apprentices, but he also called us into community. That life with Jesus is simultaneously a life with others. We have to walk and and serve Jesus in the context of community, in the context of doing life with one another. And so we've been exploring over these weeks, what are some of the characteristics of that community? When we think about being a community, when we think about being a people of God, when we think about being a church, what type of people are we to be? What, what should we be known for? What should be characteristic of us? We've been talking about various things over the last uh, several weeks. But this morning, I want to hone in on this idea that we are to be a community of the Word. We're to be a community of the Word. We are to be a community that takes its direction over and above all other sources from the Word of God. And in our text this morning, Paul makes some powerful statements about the Bible, and I want to unpack those for us. I think our message this morning for some will be a reminder. You'll be encouraged in your love of Scripture, in your own personal Bible reading. For others, this message this morning is going to be a call to return to something. That maybe you can remember a season of your life where you loved reading the Bible, but maybe you haven't read it in weeks, months, or even years. My hope is that by the time I'm finished, you'll have rekindled that flame in your heart, that love for the Word of God. And for others, maybe you're here this morning and you don't really know what's up with church, God, or faith. You're just checking this out. Maybe you've never read the Bible. This morning, I hope that you will hear this invitation to come to God's word and to receive from it instruction for how to live a good and beautiful life. So that's what we're going to jump into this morning. Where I want to start is this whole idea. I believe that as, as Paul is teaching about the word of God, he's presenting the word of God as a gift. The word of God is a gift to us. The Bible is a gift to us. Now, if we believe that we were created If we believe that we're not just here by accident, it begs the question of, well, where did we come from? What what brought us into existence? That is an important question. If we believe in a creator, does the creator have a name? And if the creator has a name, how do we know the name of that creator? Well, Christian theology talks about two different types of revelation. The first is the idea of general revelation. And it speaks a bit back to what I've already talked about. That within us as human beings, we have instinct. We have this desire to do good. Uh, We we have a conscience. We have a sense of, of right and wrong kind of inherently within us. 
Um, Biblical theologians would point to that and say that that is a type of God revealing himself to us. That there's something in us, this longing for more, this longing for eternity that God has placed in there. That is a form of revelation. In addition to our conscience's general revelation, we also have creation. We need only step outside to look up at the stars at night, to take a walk through Edmonton's River Valley, to go uh, to the Rocky Mountains and look at the beauty of the majestic Rockies. All of it just speaks and screams out that, that it has been created, that there is an artist behind all of creation, that it did not just come into play by accident. So that is another form of revelation, that creation testifies and demands that there is a creator. But in addition to general revelation, Christian theologians also talk about special revelation. That God has not only revealed himself to us through our conscience and through creation, but he's also been very specific. And he's been specific to us in that he's come in the person of Jesus Christ. God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to know God, look at Jesus. If you want to learn about God, learn more about Jesus. Jesus reveals to us the Father. And in addition to that, we have the record of that revelation and we have the scriptures. The Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the scriptures. Uh, Paul puts it this way, that all scripture is breathed out by God. Friends, our creator, the one who made us, the one who put us on this earth, has given us a resource for which we are to understand our purpose, we are to understand how we got here, we are to understand how to live our lives. We are to know the difference between the beginning and the end. We understand that the Bible is inherently inspired by God. It has its origin and its distinctiveness in God himself. And I just love this about God. Because there's a lines of thinking within universalism and this whole idea of pluralism that there is some sort of creator, but he's just abandoned us. We're just left on earth to live and figure out how to get the most out of life without blowing it all by ourselves. But that's not what happened. God didn't just create us. He hasn't left us. He's given us resources. He has spoken to us and he's spoken to us through his word. And this gift, this word of God, Paul goes on to say that it is profitable, that it benefits our lives. In what ways is it profitable? First, he says that the word of God is profitable for teaching. In this, we see that the scriptures is a standard of truth. This word, this word teaching could also be translated as doctrine, that it is sufficient for us to come to learn from, that the information of scripture is indeed true. That when we come with questions about who we are as people, when we have questions about the beginning and the end, answers to those questions are found in Scripture. When we have questions about morality, when we have the question of how am I supposed to get the most out of life without blowing it, Scripture speaks to all of these things. It speaks to how we ought to live our lives. It speaks to us about the worldview that we are best to adopt. All of this emerges from Scripture. It tells us where we have come from and where we are going. And as we receive this teaching of Scripture, we see the other benefit of Scripture is that it is profitable for reproof. Depending on your translation, it might read rebuke as well. And it's this whole idea that as we learn from Scripture, Scripture begins to correct things that we might have thought that are possibly wrong. The way that we live our lives, the things that we say, the things that we do. 
As we learn from Scripture, as we take the teaching of Scripture, it confronts the things that we already know, the assumptions that we've made, and it, it rebukes it, basically. It exposes our misunderstandings. It refutes against our previously reached conclusions. And, but not only this, as, the, as we receive the teaching, as we receive the, re, re, the rebuke or the reproof, it leads to correction. The word of God is profitable for correction. And the picture of it within this word is the picture of straightening. That it brings things into alignment. Now, I brought with me this morning um, my builder's level. Sometimes I do this illustration with a plumb bob, but it confuses people because they don't know what that is. Um, so we have here a builder's level. And this is the picture of, of straightening or the picture of correcting. If I was building a house and I had framed a wall and I had stood that wall... I want that wall to be straight up and down. I want it to be true and straight. I don't want it to be leaning to the left or to the right. And so I would take this, this level and I'd put it on the wall. And I would take the wall and I would move the wall until the little bubble in the level was, was sitting perfectly in between the two lines. And once the little bubble settles between the two lines and it's up against the wall, I know that the wall is straight. I know that it is standing perfectly straight up and down. Friends, the Bible is to do this to our lives. It's to be like a level where we take the teaching of Scripture and we hold it up against our lives and we ask the question of our lives, is it true? Is what the way that I'm living my life true? Is it correct or is it leaning to the left or to the right? When we think about our relationships with people and we think about the way we engage with others, Am I engaging with them in a way that is consistent with Scripture? Or am I harboring anger and bitterness? Well, if I'm harboring, if I'm harboring anger and bitterness, I'm kind of off tilter. So the Scriptures teach that I shouldn't harbor anger and bitterness. I need to forgive. And so I bring my life into alignment by practicing forgiveness, by receiving the rebuke of Scripture for harboring anger and bitterness, and choosing forgiveness. I bring my life into correction. So you, you catch the flow here that Paul is going with. That scripture is profitable to us as a source of, for us to teach from because it is true. That as we receive that teaching, it rebukes us. As we receive that rebuke, we correct our lives. We bring it into alignment with the word of God. And as it's doing this work, we see that we are being trained in righteousness. Over time, teaching, rebuking, and correcting does its work. And here is that instinct again, that instinct towards all that is good and beautiful and right. See, righteousness in our culture is difficult to define because we live in a society that has rejected any type of authority surrounding what is good and what is evil. People are left to make those decisions on their own, it seems. But friends, the Bible provides for us the definition of righteousness. So if you want to be truly righteous... If you want to be someone who is righteous, who is living into the best image of what is good and beautiful and right, you have to live into the life that the Bible is calling us to, the life that Jesus has called us to, the life that our Father God has made us and created us for. And I love this word training because the, the image around it is, is this idea of rearing a child. That as a parent helps a young child to learn the basics of life, so the word of God leads us and trains us into right living. And Paul goes on, he says that receiving the teaching, the rebuke, the correction, and the training 
from the word, it leads to maturity. It leads to maturity. When I think about this, I I think about um, plants. And I'm not very good at keeping plants alive. I I had a plant in my office this summer, and plants need sunlight, right? Right? So I, I put the plant in my window, and I scorched the plant. And the plant died. And I did everything I could to bring this plant back to life. I put those, like, little sticks in the soil, and I, like, moved it away from the window, and I watered it, and it just kept getting more and more dead, it seemed, this poor plant. Um, the conditions that I had that plant in were not the right conditions for that plant to mature. Now, if you come to my house and you see all the plants that my wife works so diligently uh, at cultivating, you see plants that have matured. You see plants that are spread out in different places because my wife has identified, well, this, this plant likes the sunlight a little bit more than that plant, and this plant likes to be warmer, and this plant, and she has all these plants throughout her house, and they're beautiful, and they're living, and they're maturing. Why? Because they've found themselves in an environment that is conducive to their maturity. And friends, when we think about our lives, when we think about our maturity, when we think about us growing up into the type of people I think that we actually really want to be, the type of person that is good, the type of person that is loving, a type of person who is patient and kind, a type of person who is working good in the world, that's the type of person Jesus wants us to be. When we think about maturing into that type of people, what are the conditions that enable us to become that? Well, those conditions are identified for us in the Word of God. And as we receive teaching from His Word, as we humble ourselves and receive it, allow it to speak to us, even when we disagree with it, when we allow it to correct us and we bring our lives into alignment and and we move more towards righteousness, eventually we become mature. And I love Paul's words here, perfect and and complete, equipped for every good work. Do you want that in your life? Yes. We should say yes to that. I, I want that. I want to be perfect and complete, equipped for every good work. Paul goes on, though, in this section of 2 Timothy, and he, he writes to this pastor, and he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Here in Paul's charge, he's writing to this young pastor and he's saying that, Timothy, you need to place the word of God as the primary orientation for your ministry. The word of God needs to be central to everything that you do. Friends, the word is central to the ministry of the church. It is central to the ministry of the church. Paul's charge to Timothy reminds us as individuals and as a community that we do not come together simply to hear the ideas of an institution. We do not come together to hear the ideas of an individual. You do not come to hear the ideas of me or some sort of, uh, some sort of self-help guru. We do not come together to hear the ideas of the world's brightest minds We come together, rather, to hear and be shaped by the Word of God. To submit ourselves to the Word of God. And to allow allow the life-giving nourishment of the Word of God to seep into our lives. That's what we are doing here. 
We proclaim the word as we sing our worship songs. We celebrate the word with those who go and be baptized. We sit under the teaching of the word as our leaders come and present scripture to us in the form of a sermon. We celebrate the word as we encourage one another and share about the ways that God is working in our hearts and we talk with one another about the things we're learning from scripture. Our community groups, our midweek groups, our youth, all of it orient themselves around the scriptures. Why? Because we believe that it is the word of God and that it has something to teach us and and it has the ability to lead us into godliness and righteousness. So friends, our church should be a community where the Bible is clearly taught and willingly learned. We are a community of the word. A community of the word. And we too as individuals must come and sit before the word of God. The question for us and the purpose of this series is how might we mature in being a community of the word? How might we mature in being a community of the word? I just have three application points for us. Uh, The first is that we need to orient and subject our lives to the word of God. Orient and subject our lives to the word of God. We often don't like words like subject or authority or rules, these types of things. But friends, I think at the heart of the Christian faith, when we think about what it means to be a Christian— We could really boil it down to this idea of living your life submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ and the authority of Scripture. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means that I'm living submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ and the authority of the Scriptures. I have humbled myself. I have said, not my will, but yours be done, God. I have have declared bankruptcy on me knowing what is best for myself and for my life. And I've said, actually, God knows what's best for myself and my life. And I'm going to follow him wherever he leads me. When Jesus invites his disciples to follow him and he teaches on discipleship, it is all about surrender and sacrifice. That we lay down our lives for him. And that in laying down our lives, we find life and life abundant. And so friends, when we think about this idea of orienting and subjecting our lives to the word, it means very simply that we read the Bible. We study the Bible. We take time in our, in our own day, day in and day out, to, to say, okay, I'm going to read Scripture today. You know, there's lots of tools to help us do that. Um, I know Bible reading plans are very popular, but I also have a bit of a, a beef with Bible reading plans because I find that oftentimes with a Bible reading plan, we get so caught up in checking off that we read every day that we actually miss the purpose of reading the Bible. And if Paul here is teaching that that the purpose of reading the Bible is that we would receive from it teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. If, if your Bible reading plan isn't helping you achieve those means, you need to get rid of your Bible reading plan and try something different. And it might mean sitting in a gospel or in the Psalms for weeks and months at a time and, and not worrying about reading through the whole thing, but taking your time and sitting with the Word, knowing that when we sit with the Word of God by the illumination of the Holy Spirit, we are fellowshipping with Jesus in his word. And as we sit in his word, we receive from him the nourishment that we desperately need. What we don't desperately need is to check every box off of a Bible reading plan, but what we do desperately need is the presence and the life-giving power of Jesus that comes to us through his word. So when I say to orient your life around the word, it's not simply to read it as in just to get through it, 
but it's to read it with a posture of fellowship. As, and as we read it, we ask the question, how do I live my life according to these scriptures? Jesus, what do you have for me from your word today? Which leads to my second application. How do we mature in being a community of the word? We approach the word as a student. We approach the word as a student. This requires us to be very humble when it comes to the scriptures. And when it comes to our community, our community, I believe, can be very threatened when we take the word and we remove humility from it. And we begin to dictate maybe how everyone else should live their lives based on our own interpretation of Scripture. We need to have a humility as we approach the Word. Not a false humility that comes and says, you know, well, of course it's the Bible, it knows best, but really, I I, I have it all figured out. I know the whole Bible. (laughs) Friends, none of us do. None of us know it all. We all need to be rebuked and corrected from time to time. But if we approach the Bible with a posture of pride, we keep the Spirit from being able to do that work in our lives. So we need to approach it. We need to approach it with a lot of humility. We also need to recognize the role of interpretation with Scripture. There's an old saying or song that goes, the Bible says it, I believe it, that's good enough for me. And while I love the sentiment of that, that the Bible says it, I believe it, that's good enough for me, The problem is it kind of leaves out this whole piece of interpretation. We need to recognize that the Bible also needs to be interpreted. That we need to consider the original audience, the culture, and the intended meaning of the text. We need to recognize that when it comes to us understanding Scripture, we bring so much to it. Our history, our background, our education, our worldview, all of these shape the the way that we read the Bible and the way that we understand it, and the way that we demand others understand it. So we need to be careful. Even as your pastor, I am not fallible. My interpretation of Scripture is not flawless. While I would hope to be able to get up week after week and preach in a way that is perfect and without any error, I know that that is impossible and untrue. I do the hard work. I try. I labor in teaching the Word to the best of my ability, but I know that I do not always get it right. But this is what I love about being a community of the Word. We interpret the Word together. We interpret the Word together. And as we do that, we do it in love. So many times I've seen people's interpretation of Scripture uh, use Scripture to kind of abuse other people, to demand that they are right and others are wrong, that there's only one way to understand a certain text or whatever it is. And while I believe that metaphorically the Bible is referred to as a sword, the Bible was never meant to be used as an object of abuse. And there are countless examples throughout history where Scripture has been misused and abused and interpreted in ways to advance men's own agendas and ignore the will of God. And it should not be so. But we as a community look to the Word of God and recognize that, yes, it is a sword— And it corrects, and it exposes, and it cuts down strongholds. But we yield it with love and not conquest. So we approach the word as a student with a heart of humility, longing to understand, longing to hear what God has for us. And what I love about this too, throughout Scripture, God always presents himself to us as a teacher. He longs to teach us. He longs to come alongside us and help us grow and learn. 
And there's a mystery to me in John chapter 14 where Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That this idea that when we come to truth, when we come to arrive at a conclusion that is true, we're actually arriving at a person. You ever realize that? What does it mean that Jesus is true? I think there's a lot of mystery around that. But what I love about it when it comes to us understanding Scripture is I hear this invitation for us to walk with the one who is truth towards all truth. And then thirdly, how do we mature as being a community of the Word? We need to approach the Word of God. As we approach the Word of God, we need to trust it to be true. As we approach the Word of God, trust it to be true. Friends, in order for us to be a person or a church or a community that is of the Word, that is being shaped by the Word and discipled by the Word, we have to trust that it is true. There's a hot topic um, button, uh, sorry, a hot topic word that's being used right and right, is being used a lot these days, and that word is deconstruction. Um, That in the church, people are are really scared of the word deconstruction, and we talk about how young people are deconstructing their faith, that they're looking at scripture and the church, and they're just ripping it apart and coming up with all these reasons why it is wrong or oppressive or this, that, or the other thing, and then they walk away from the faith. And I don't understand deconstruction well enough to speak, um, speak on it for a long time. But I would argue that I believe deconstruction is actually a good and essential piece of our maturing. Because in deconstruction, what we do is we consider the building blocks that we have been given. And we examine them and we ask, is it true? We ask, is it right? We ask, does this make sense? And we bring critical thoughts to things that we have been taught. And we do this naturally, and it's important that we do this because as, if we do it well, we should move from deconstruction to reconstruction and come out the other side even stronger and more convinced and more full of faith than we were before. But what has happened is that I feel like people get so full of doubt, they get so full of questioning, they become critics against Christianity or against the Word of God. And, and they take all of that and they just say, no, it's not true, I want to walk away from it. But frankly, the issue is many of them are just too lazy. And they don't necessarily want anything to do with God or his word. They don't want to do the hard work of reconstructing and to actually consider what does the Bible say is true. So there's a great need for us as a church to pray for a generation of young people that are deconstructing their faith and pray that they will reconstruct. But in addition to that, we need to be a community that walks alongside those who are asking questions. Friends, we should never discourage people from asking questions about God. We should never discourage them from asking questions about their faith, about, you know, about Jesus, about the Bible. Those questions are all good. The problem is when they're in a small group or something and someone says, that's a bad question or don't ask that question, it shuts them down. How can they reconstruct? But can we be a community where we welcome questions, where we welcome people asking hard questions about the Bible, about church, about Jesus? And journey together in finding those answers. We might not land on some sort of black and white answer to every question. We might come to places where we have to savor the mystery. But friends, the journey of of wrestling through our questions is a beautiful journey. A worthy journey. It is worth our time. And I believe that God uses it to mature us. And one more comment on this idea of approaching the word, trusting it to be true is that we need to keep Scripture as a priority. We need to keep it as a priority. 
We need to expose ourselves to the Word of God. It's so easy for me to say that I trust the Bible. It's so easy. But friends, trusting the Bible is not about mental assent. It's about obedience. If I actually trust the Word of God, it means that I will live the way that the Word of God tells me to live. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when I struggle with it. But what I find is so, so often, we say we trust the Bible. We say we're surrendered to God. We say we want to live for Him. But we spend way more time saturating our minds and our hearts and other teachings and other ideas and other worldviews than we do the Scriptures. And then we wonder why Christianity doesn't work. Where do you go first for advice? Where do you go first when you're asking questions about how to live your life? I think so many of us subject ourselves to the teachings we receive from TV shows, from TikTok, Facebook, or our Google search engine. And we go to all those things before we would ever go to the Word of God. And what's really scary about that is we live in a time where corporations are working and fighting to, for our attention. They are fighting for our attention. The Netflix documentary that came out a couple years ago called The Social Dilemma highlighted for us that our social media feeds are fighting for our attention. They're doing everything they can to keep our attention. We're so distracted. And in the midst of all that, God's word is sitting there inviting us to come and receive from it life. It's interesting because I feel like Paul could have been talking about our day when he finished off this charge to Timothy. He says that a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. This is that deconstruction piece. They don't want to listen to the Bible. But having itching, itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions. It's like, I'm not interested in Scripture. I'm just, I don't like what it has to say with me. I don't want to be corrected. I'm going to go somewhere else where they just don't correct me. It feels a lot better. And what happens, he says, well, they turn away from listening to the truth and they wander off into myths. Friends, I see our culture in this place in so many ways. The Bible is being called outdated. It's being called oppressive. Some even say the Bible is hateful. But I I can't help but think that some of us also feel this tension in our own lives. Where we look at Scripture's invitation and we feel like it's just too much. I wonder if some of us do not hear the, the temptation that came to Eve in the garden. Where he said, did God really say? Did God really say, is the Bible really true? Is it really sufficient? Is it really going to lead to life abundant? To this, Paul is calling us back to a commitment to the word. To keep our head. To keep our heads on straight. To to devote energy and time into hearing from God in his word. Receiving the life that he has for us from his word. And living by it. And friends, ultimately the church, we are meant to be God's voice. We herald God's voice as we live by it and proclaim it. As we live by God's word, we proclaim it in word and deed to the world around us. Demonstrating to the world around us that as we live by God's word, it really is good and beautiful and right. Well, I'm not sure how you hear this this morning. Perhaps, again, you're here this morning and your relationship with the Word of God is really healthy. You, you love your time in the Word. I hope you are encouraged. 
Keep it up. Keep spending that time. Keep studying the word. Keep growing and maturing in righteousness. For others, maybe this morning you're here and you haven't read the Bible in months or years. You can remember back to a season of your life where you loved time in the word, but that just feels like a distant memory. Hear Paul's charge this morning. His reminder. If you want life abundant, commit yourself to reading the word. Hear God speak to you through his word. Receive nourishment and strength and resourcing from the word of God. Or maybe this morning you're here and you're simply skeptical. Well, I want to invite you to hear the invitation. That your creator did not just make you and walk away. But he revealed himself to you in the person of Jesus Christ. And has given us these, these 66 books, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. And by them we learn about where we've come from. Where we're going. And how to live life the way that he intended. Which is to say to live life to the full. To live life abundantly. So I encourage you, grab a Bible. If you don't have one, there's some at the carts over there. You can just take one home with you. Open up to one of the Gospels and just start reading about Jesus. I challenge you just to, to read the Word. Spend time in it. Well, this morning we come to the table. Uh, we'll be taking uh, communion together. Uh, if you did not receive uh, the communion elements when you came in, you just raise your hand and our ushers will, will bring those to you. And when I think about the Word of God and just how it invites us to a life that is corrected, that is aligned to God's heart for us, uh, there's so much temptation to resist that. There's an obvious discomfort that exists when God is calling us to change or to be conformed to His image. But this morning as we come to the table, I want us to remember Jesus the one who prayed to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. That as we come to the table this morning, I want us to remember Jesus, who his sacrifice was one of obedience to the Father. And maybe for some of you today, when you think about applying the word of God to your life, there's areas where you know God's calling you to obedience and you're just resisting it. I invite you in this time of taking communion to pray to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. To recognize and reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made. And allow that to inspire you to sacrifice yourself to the Father as well. This morning as we take the cup, I pray that we too can pray, not our will but yours be done. I'm going to invite the worship team to, to come up. And as they pray this song, I just invite you to, to hold those elements in your hand. To reflect on the gift that Jesus has given us in reconciling us to the Father. To reflect on the gift that God has given us in his word. That he did not leave us or abandon us, but has resourced us. And I want you to reflect, what, what area of obedience is God calling me to in this season? And what might I need to sacrifice in order to be obedient to God? Let me pray, and then we will reflect as we sing the song together. Yeah, Father, we again thank you for this time and the opportunity to turn our attention to your word and to think about your word and to consider it. And Lord, I pray that we would be a community of the word, 
Not a community with the word, one that just has the Bible as a great resource to help us do what we do, but that we would be of the word. And that in all of our practice in ministry and practice in our lives would flow from the instruction and the life that you have for us that's outlined in scripture. But Lord, as we sit now and prepare our hearts um, just to celebrate your death and resurrection, your sacrifice, Lord, may we too hear your invitation. What might we need to sacrifice? Where do we need to be obedient? Lord, help us to have ears to hear in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name.